Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Good evening, and welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. We are broadcasting right across the world, and we hope that you're listening to us. We broadcast from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. And you might have heard last night about half a mountain that came down with some houses just up the road from us. So we had no power last night for quite a long time. And uh, so it was exciting. So who said Hollywood isn't exciting? Now, Ryan Feet set up one of his first websites, which was called Seed Invest, and it lists companies trying to raise money. And over the last two years, his company's turned away dozens of companies that wanted to raise money from investors on his site, but he's pretty picky, and some of the companies that um, seem to be have you know, raise clear red flags for investors, but later showed up on other crowdfunding sites where they have raised large sums of money and, uh, you know, all from unsophisticated investors. One of the early companies you rejected was shut down by regulators after it had raised $5 million from investors. Now, like most investments, investing in startups is risky. You can't deny that. So you definitely should do your homework. If you do your homework, you'll find that you can sort out the good companies from those that might be a bit of a chance. And like the Jobs Act opened the door to new methods of crowdfunding, promoted as a new way to lower the regulatory barriers that have presented companies from raising money from regular people. With the Jobs Act, People can raise money and offer investment investors an actual ownership stake with the promise of financial returns, which turns crowdfunding into a much more serious business than, say, Kickstarter, where people are just donating your money. Advocates of crowdfunding have been expressing concerns about the low levels of compliance among many of the companies that have raised money and the bad terms the companies have offered investors. You know, a lot of these companies are really way overvalued and bad apples may ruin the market if it gets a reputation for being one where people don't comply with the rules. CrowdCheck is a company that carries out surveys of compliance in the industry and has found that almost none of the companies that have been listed so far are in full compliance with even the basic rules set down by the SEC. About 40% of all companies do not get their financial results audited or certified, which is required by the rules. And the lower regulatory barriers for crowdfunding mean the SEC does not individually check whether companies are following the requirements. So despite the issues, the opportunity for companies to fail and lose money for investors has really been very small. Now compare that with, um, say, the stock market where over a period of a year, just as many stocks go up as go down. So your chances of doing okay with startups, if you do your homework, can be pretty good. 
The signature element of the crowdfunding law, which allows companies to sell stock to anyone on the internet, went into effect last May, and to date, about 200 companies have sought investments. The law caps, this is the one big problem, the law caps the amount that a single company can raise from ordinary investors at $1 million, which, you know, for a lot of investors these days, is nowhere near, but for a lot of startups these days, it's nowhere near enough money. But Congress is currently considering a change to the crowdfunding law that will make it much easier for companies to raise money online and to raise more money online. Two concerns are that, um, firstly, companies are not giving investors enough information to judge them. And companies that have assigned themselves sky-high valuations make it really hard for investors to ever get their money back. It appears that many small-time investors so far were viewing their investments more like donations to businesses that they like rather than investments that will make them money. But that will change. You know, it's my view that even the most unsophisticated amateur investors are wise enough to see through most scams. People come up with some clever scams, but they're wise enough to see through most scams and it'll become more and more so with time and experience. My experience also suggests that most startup entrepreneurs are very dedicated and they're really genuine and will set realistic goals as the competition for investment is very competitive. Now, every year, IBM makes five projections for five years hence. It's called five in five. And uh, this is their IBM projections for 2022. Now, bearing in mind that 2022 is only five years away. Not far. So the five innovations that IBM think will have the biggest impact on our lives over the next five years They say, firstly, we're going to see huge developments in artificial intelligence, ultra-powerful telescopes, smart sensors and smart medical devices with benefits ranging from healthcare and the environment to our understanding of both the Earth and the universe itself. Of course, all these predictions are based on technology and research that's happening right now. And with technology accelerating so rapidly, who knows what incredible developments may occur in the next five years. So here are IBM's projections. You ready for them? Here we go. Thanks to AI, our speech will be a window into our mental health. You can tell a lot about someone based on how they talk whether they're bored or flustered or distracted or miserable. And as humans, we've evolved to pick up on these cues. But rapid advancement being made in computer processing power means speech analysis is about to become a whole lot more insightful. IBM predicts that in five years, what we say and write will be used as indicators of our mental health and our physical well-being. For example, mental illness and diseases such as Parkinson's could be spotted sooner with a mobile phone app, thanks to AI calculations being done in the cloud. And of course, the earlier we spot these conditions, the better placed we are to treat them. Okay, their second observation is that superhero vision will be possible with AI and with powerful new devices. 
You know, our eyes are absolutely fantastic pieces of biological equipment. But according to IBM, powerful tiny cameras combined with the processing of AI means we'll be able to see more than ever before 2022, as well as visible light. We could see microwave, millimeter waves and infrared images through devices small enough to fit in your pocket or clip onto your glasses. I think the visual capabilities of something like an airport security scanner, but in a, vi- in a device that's about the size of your mouse. Using this technology, we could instantly see whether food is safe to eat, and it could, could give self-driving cars the capacity to see through fog or rain much more easily. Now, the first of these devices is already appearing, like the Enchroma sunglasses that help colorblind people see color for the first time. I mean, how remarkable is that? But by 2022, according to IBM, they'll be commonplace. Macroscopes, this is their third tip, macroscopes will help us understand the Earth's complexity in infinite detail, thanks to satellite imaging. Being able to see a bird's eye view of anywhere on Earth feels normal. But Google Earth is just the beginning. IBM predicts that macroscope systems, like microscopes, but at the other end of the scale, are going to combine all of the Earth's complex data together so we can analyse it from all different kinds of new perspectives. Not only will this technology provide us with more data from satellites, smart sensors and weather stations, but AI will provide much better ways to organise and sort through it all. Now, this technology wouldn't just apply to natural processes on Earth and beyond. All kinds of devices, including our lights and our fridges, could be studied using macroscopes of the future to predict everything from climate change trends to the best ways of distributing food to communities around the globe. Fourth, labs on chips will revolutionise medicine. As computer technology shrinks and gets more and more powerful, the medical benefits could be huge. Just imagine accurate diagnoses in your home at a low cost to catch diseases really early. So new medical labs on a chip will serve as nanotechnology health detectives, tracing invisible clues in our bodily fluids and letting us know immediately if we have any reason whatsoever to see a doctor. In other words, a full biochemistry lab in the palm of your hand. Now, detecting diseases in the early stages can make a big difference on how successful treatments are, which is why scientists are working to improve analysis of our tears, blood, urine and sweat. Five, smart detectors will detect environmental pollution faster than ever. IBM predicts that a mix of smart hardware and A1 analytics could be used to detect environmental pollution as it happens instantly. Smart sensors embedded in the ground or fitted to drones can detect pollutants and emissions in real time without having to capture bare samples, send them back to a lab, have all that analysis done. And one one example of this is the methane leaks. 
which as you probably know, occurred here in California, in Los Angeles, causing unbelievable problems. Um, and they're invisible to the naked eye. And the second largest contributor to um, global warming, and yet we don't realise it, this is after carbon dioxide, we don't realise it, we can't find it until it's too late. Now, such leaks could be found in a matter of minutes instead of weeks, reducing pollution and waste and the likelihood of catastrophic events. So let's hope that things are even more awesome in 2022, thanks to whatever amazing technology that scientists can come up with. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? 81,000 other daily subscribers do. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com. That's B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It, It takes 30 seconds to read this newsletter. Very occasionally it'll be a bit longer, but it's a bit longer because it's more interesting. And so it's well worth the read. And it'll keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. So when you go out to lunch with somebody, at the end of the lunch, they'll say, gee, isn't Bill bloody smart? He's up to date on everything. The reason is he reads the Bob Pritchard 30-second daily newsletter. My guest today is Paul Amori. Now, Paul is an unbelievably flamboyant character and he's running for the mayor of Los Angeles. And uh, so why is a guy running for the mayor of Los Angeles going out on a worldwide radio broadcast to business people? What the hell has that got to do with business? Well, to get elected, you've either got to have one unbelievably enormous amount of money, particularly in the United States, or you have to make an impression some other way. Now, Paul is very flamboyant, and he believes that the only way to create positive change in the world is by putting our hearts first and rebuffing all the hatred and bitterness and acrimony that um, occurred in the last election and replace that with love and compassion. Now, that not in a corny way, but he says, for example, he has got an extraordinary get the homeless off the street, into homes, get them um, the help that they need. Very pragmatic, very sensible. He's got the social workers behind him and um, with plans that can get homeless off the street for thirty or $40,000 each, where the ridiculous um, bond measure that we just voted on costs $350,000 to get every single homeless, each single, each homeless person off the street. Now, there's 38,000 of them. So billions of dollars gets 10% of the problem solved, the 20% of the problem solved. And it's absolutely ridiculous that to house a homeless person costs the same as a house out in the outer suburbs. Now, that is just plain stupid. <coughs> so, Paul, apart from being very flamboyant, he's running a very serious campaign focused on solving the problems that affect us all 
irregardless of party affiliation. So it doesn't only apply to homeless, but that was just one example. Now, I'll be back with Paul immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show. <laughs> where over the past five years, we've given you the insights. Incidentally, I've just signed for a sixth year last week. And... Uh, over the last five years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 350 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do, and we've talked about how they've overcome challenges, and uh, what we try to do is find out, you know, what really makes them tick, what drives them. It's bloody difficult to be successful in business, no matter what that business is, and it's it's even more difficult if you're in a startup where the failure rate is somewhere north of 95%, which is pretty pathetic. And a lot of that comes down to not enough help from governments. But um, that's another story. Some people are becoming successful by being very creative, over the top, and combining this creativity with solid, sensible marketing. And they become successful. Now, the guy I'm speaking to today is just such a guy. He's um, got great business smarts, but apart from that, he um, he's created a persona, and when you meet him, you remember him. He always dresses in red. He's the total <laughs> opposite to the grey shirts, grey suits, grey minds of the traditional candidate. You know, they always look like wind-up dolls, don't they? They can Somebody winds them up and they go out and off they go. And and they talk for 30 minutes and say absolutely fucking nothing except praise themselves up, of course, and all the things that they say they've done but they really haven't done. My guest today is Paul Amore. He's running for mayor of Los Angeles. And this sounds corny, but to spread love over the city. Now, while this message of love and everybody getting along is in – Absolute contrast to the de- de- divisive, self-interested politics being practiced by the major parties. There is 
don't be confused because there's great policy substance behind the attention-getting image. I went to a presentation of Paul's a couple of weeks ago about solving Los Angeles homeless problem. Um, we've just done a count this last weekend of how many homeless there are in LA, but the guess is somewhere around 38,000. Now, 38,000 people on the streets in a city that is arguably the wealthiest city in the world, in a country that's arguably the wealthiest country in the world, is pathetic. Now, this presentation on homeless was the best presentation I've ever been to, talking about and looking at the reasons for homelessness and how to solve them. And it was a deep, thoughtful presentation that would solve the issue relatively quickly. I mean, they just did a bond measure in in LA and they're talking about, you know, solving the homeless problem in 10 years. And it's some ash $10 billion or some ridiculous amount of money. You know, they could all live in Beverly Hills for that. There are better ways to solve the problem. And uh, Paul's was a was a fantastic presentation. Yeah. Paul you, first got into politics, kind of, when he was elected <laughs> mayor of the Lightning in a Bottle Music Festival in 2012. And as a token of his esteem for the festival and its multicultural attendees, he created Amore's Casino and Burlesque, which I haven't been to, but I must. A late-night venue that celebrates love in all of its myriad forms and passions. Sounds cool. Um, <laughs> and over the last four years, Amore has um, become a beloved institution at the festival, and he's continued to serve as the festival's honorary mayor. And uh, Paul believes that the only way to create positive change is through putting our hearts first and rebuffing hatred and bitterness with love and compassion and not going into things with a self-interest. You know, if you're going in to solve, solve the people's homeless problems, you solve the homeless problem. You don't worry about how you steer your friends into building the buildings that get built and so that you can, you know, put money in your friends' pockets. Now, Paul and the Vote for Love campaign rejected the angry, hateful and vitriolic campaign tactics that steer us away from any intelligent discourse about solving problems that affect it. And that both parties are as bad. You know, and we're seeing, we're paying the, we're paying the piper now. The Vote for Love campaign is also committed to dramatically raising the bar on voter turnout. Now, this is pathetic as well. We've got one of the world's biggest cities, one of the world's most affluent cities, a city that's vibrant in every way possible, and yet less than 20% of registered voters turn out for the mayoral election. And that's because people don't feel like they're empowered or they're not being listened to. You know, these politicians are going to go and do whatever they fuck they want, irrespective of what the people want. And, you know, it's just this little click. The Vote for Love campaign puts the people first by – and it, it, it showed in this presentation I went to about homelessness. But, <coughs> excuse me, it digs deep into the communities all across Los Angeles to find out what their issues are and what they want from their elected officials. I'm sure that if you sit down and talk to most elected officials, they don't have a clue what people really want. Now, like all descendants of Im immigrants in this fantastic country, which brings me, which nearly brought me to what's going on at the moment, but I won't go there. 
uh, <laughs> it was funny. I went to give a speech in a uh, city not that long ago, and the first thing the organiser came up to me and said was, don't talk politics because this is Trump territory, so stay away from politics. So obviously my politics shows. <laughs> um but, Paul, they're, they're digging into the communities and working out what it is that people want. And uh, like all descendants of immigrants in this country, um, Paul's roots can be traced back to the old country. But make no mistake, he's 110% grade A American and an Angelino through and through. Paul, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and you're being hurled all around the world. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. It's an honor to be here today. I appreciate you having me on. Mate, um... How did you get into politics? Is that through the, simply through the festival or were you involved before? Yeah, well, you know, we came up with this idea many years ago at this music festival, uh, this idea of voting for love. Uh, it was an idea that at first was a little cute sounding and, and we thought we'd, we'd put this out to the, to the festival goers uh, when we were having this mock election to get people to sort of, uh, to start to, to get the next generation of people talking about politics in a way that was easy for them to wrap their their minds around and their hearts around. Right. We, we came up with this idea of voting for love. And this uh, was something that went viral in this, in this very small community of roughly 15, 20,000 people. Okay. And in, the, in the, uh, the recent election, watching this, uh, as you put it, very vitriolic, very divisive uh, election taking place on the national stage, mm. we thought, I thought to myself, what would happen if we took vote for love as an idea and brought that into practical real world politics. And it just so happens I've been called the mayor of love, the mayor of lightning in a bottle. I thought, and I, there was a mayoral election coming up in my beloved Los Angeles. I thought, why not try this in LA and see what happens when we make love the, the number one uh, issue, the number one uh, value from play, which we place our core value from. And that's what we've been doing. Yeah, if you look at every problem, um, and I'm trying to think of one that doesn't apply, but if you think of, if, let's just take homelessness. The way to solve homelessness is to love your neighbour. I mean, if you love your Absolutely. neighbour, you want to get them off the street. And you Absolutely. want to provide them homes as quickly as possible. You want to feed them and, and make sure that they've got um, facilities. And you, you can't do that by worrying about, you know, how do we get a building and how do we get one of our friends to, you know, spend an enormous amount of money Um renovating it absolutely i mean it's a it's a very good point if if you are if you were to put that same filter on a loved one if you were to say yep. uh that your your sister your brother uh was suddenly to find themselves homeless you wouldn't spend uh years trying to figure out how to find them a home you would bring them into your own home you would take care of them you would figure it out you would make it happen yeah and we don't. We don't. Unfortunately, tend to think of our uh, the citizens which we share our, our streets, our our neighborhoods with, as our family. But shouldn't we? I mean, isn't real patriotism? Absolutely. Isn't that real patriotism that that we take care of our own? I agree. Now, in a cynic, you know, the average voter is cynical. They've had a gut full of politics as it, yes. as it is, but they don't really know what to do about it, and they feel. Um, like they're not empowered to do anything. Mm -hmm. So how many times do you hear people say, well, my vote doesn't count, so why should I of vote? Of course. Um, so do you, do you really believe, I mean, deep down your heart, do you really believe that the politics of love will work to cynical voters? You know, I believe that, that 
what's working, what's happening out there is not working. And, and we can see that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You mentioned our appalling uh, voter projected voter turnout for this citywide election. I've been out on the streets. In fact, uh, a little later today, I'll be launching a new series called Politics, uh, in which we're going out under the street and doing these sort of jaywalk, jaywalking-like interviews, right. where we talk to people on the streets about local politics. It, it's amazing when you hear... First of all, people have no idea when the election is, which is March 7th, coming right up for, for the mayoral election for Los Angeles. Yes. People have no idea when the election is. Most people don't even know who their mayor is. Yeah, and that's right. It, so, so there's been uh, an incredibly – Los Angeles was set up essentially to disenfranchise voters. We have off-cycle elections, which happen, don't happen with the main uh, elections yeah. going on in our country. And we, especially in this city – have been disenfranchised intentionally uh, so that, so that the, the, the powers that be have more power. Absolutely. And well, our political process stops working for us when the people check out. Yeah. So the more checked out we are, the, the better it works for the politicians, the less it works for the people. And so, yes, you feel like your vote doesn't count, but that's because we have had this steady rise of disenfranchisement and, and a push to push people out away from their politics. Yeah. And that's what's happened. So the only way you engage people, I think, is to get them to care, is to, yeah. to bring their hearts back into the equation. True. How do you, how do you get your message out? You know, I went to the talk about homelessness, and it was a fantastic presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how do you get that message out to, you know, people in such a big city? Uh, you know, we, we had 350 or so people in the room, um, and that was great. But 350 is a lot short of, of know, course, 20 million or whatever the hell there is. Yeah, well, our campaign is very, very focused on social. Uh, we're trying to reach people in the way that people like to be reached in this moment in time, Absolutely. which is through social media. Yep. So everything we're doing, for the most part, is targeted on social media. How do we uh, get people to pay attention, to, to get excited? So we, I launched a series, uh, again, we're launching. We're, the, the Vote for Love campaign is is using love as the core value to create policy to run the campaign. Which means that it's not to say that every little nuance can be solved by love. But if love is the core value by which you operate, if love is the the number one thing, the the if if the creating welfare for the most people is your number one concern, right? Then it's a, essentially it's it's a true north. You're always pointed in the right direction, right? So. As I started to think about, well, how do you apply that to running a campaign? It's pretty much the exact opposite of the campaigns that were waged during the presidential election. Instead of slandering the, the other cam candidates, we are, in fact, honoring the other candidates and saying, hey, listen, here's some wonderful people stepping up because they want to be of service. Anyone who wants to be a leader is trying to make a change. Uh, whether you agree with their, their ideas or not, sure. you have to honor them and respect them for, for having the balls to step up and be a part of that change. I agree. So we launched a, a whole video series on, uh, it's called Getting Candid with the Candidates Over Coffee, in which I sit down with the other mayoral candidates, of which there are 10 others besides myself. It's quite a, quite a, a, quite a, a, a lot. Yeah. And I sit down with all of them and I talk to them about their ideas and tell the viewers what I love about their ideas. And we thought, what a, what a unique way to, to run a campaign. And we launched this series. The first episode got 6,000 hits in the two nights, in two days. Right. And this is a five-minute video on politics. So right. what I'm seeing is that people are hungry for a new way of doing things. Uh, you have to 
get the, the message out in as, in as viral a way as possible. And for us, that's been about creating video content and pushing it out through social channels. So the fact that people feel disenfranchised mm. and the fact that it's out of kilter with the rest of the elections, is, is, are they the two primary reasons that we get such a low turnout? Because, you know, we seem to get a low turnout. I mean, remember the gubernatorial election, the turnout was, you know, 17% or something. Um, is it just that people – has it always been like that or has it been getting progressively worse? It's definitely been progressively getting worse. Uh, we've seen major declines in voter turnout. I mean, so uh, to, to bring it into a context of, of Los Angeles – uh, in 2013, when Eric Garcetti won, he won with about 20% voter turnout, uh, which means 220,000 votes got him elected to mayor of the second largest city in the, in the country, which is, uh, if you think about it, it's rather shocking. Uh, we have 4 million in the city of Los Angeles, 2.5 million uh, eligible voters, uh, and rough, roughly 450,000 of those showed up. So... How do you get people to, to care? I mean, and now in this election, we've got it, we're, we're combating a number of things. One, we're combating a voter fatigue. People are so tired after being dragged through the mud of our national election that people are wanting to shut that off automatically. Uh, two, there's just a, a less and less of an inclination. The more that, that people feel that their voices are not heard, the, more, the less they show up. The more they feel that their politicians don't represent them, the less they show up. So now, in this, voter, uh, in this next vote, we're expecting less than 20%. I've heard as low as anywhere from 10 to 15% projected voter turnout. We don't know yet what's going to happen, and obviously we're trying to uh, combat that by getting people excited. Also to remind people, as much as a federal election impacts you, nowhere are you more impacted than by your, your own city, by the, the elections happening in your own city. Yeah. So we have to get people to care again. It, the fact that so few people vote, um, I would have thought that after this recent catastrophe yes. that more people would have thought, geez, I, you know, I should go out and make my voice heard this time. You mean for this, uh, in this yeah. citywide election? Yeah. Yeah, but but here's another issue. The, nobody knows it's happening. Yeah, true. The, the city has done nothing, nothing to promote this election. Yeah. And again, it's not my way to speak negatively about the other candidates. I have no idea why the city is not doing this. I won't attribute it to Mayor Garcetti. Uh, but I will say that, that the, the people who are going to show up to vote, who are already planning on voting, most likely are voting for the incumbent. So it is a disservice to, to the democracy that uh, by not showing, by not doing anything to publicize that there is an election, that there is a vote, it, it only serves the politicians. It doesn't serve the people. The people should know, here are your choices. Here are the people who are out yes. here. Here are your options. That's what I'm trying to present. Here I am running for mayor, but I'm trying to show the voters, not just myself, but all of these other candidates, and let them make the decision. But information is everything. We need voters to, to have knowledge, and that's where their power comes from, is having knowledge and having that power. The, the, the politicians are terrified of an angry, uh, knowledgeable voter base. Sure. That is really and truly where we have power, but we, 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 well, we, and we can't use it if we don't know it. No, you know it's not people's fault that they that they don't know that there is a, a local election coming. You know, they, if if the city does nothing to let these people know, we can't blame the people. 
you're very smart and you come up with unusual solutions, um, practical solutions to solve problems. What about your 10 competitors or your 11 competitors? How many of, don't name names or anything, but how many of them are really um, thinking outside the box and are really out there to try and um, change you know, things? And how many of them you would be surprised. You would be surprised. I have to tell you, in my experience so far, and we've, we've interviewed almost half of the other candidates, there are some wonderful candidates. And it takes a lot to go up against an incumbent who is considered to be well-liked. It takes a lot to go up against an incumbent and uh, in an election where you, you know you're, you, there's very little publicity going to be given to the election. I, I would argue that almost all of these candidates that I've spoken with, all of them, are truly passionate about change in LA. They have wonderful ideas, uh, and they are really out there for the people. Right, all of right. them are, are I, from what I've discovered, all of these people are people who feel like the current system is not working. Yep. And I would argue again, not to point fingers, not to, to point the blame, there's so, much, so many reasons why, as you pointed out, we have 38,000 people on the street, streets in Los Angeles, but you talk, your show, your show's a business show. If you think of a city as a business whose main objective is the welfare of its citizens, then how can we say that this business is being effectively run when we have 38,000 people on the streets? I agree entirely. So you've, you've spoken to um, half the other candidates. What makes I you have better? great respect, respect and admiration for them. Many of them are people who have been on the front lines fighting this fight, really out there, not for the glory of it, out there for the well-being of the people. That's my assessment. So what makes you a better option for me than the other 10 lot? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I don't consider myself a policy candidate. There are plenty of candidates out there who have deeper understanding of the policy than I do. Uh, I am somebody who is out for paradigm shift. Right. So what I'm trying to do is to get all of Los Angeles involved in governing the city. I don't want this to be the type of mayorship in which I'm sitting there dictating to people how things are going to get done. What we effectively want to do is crowdsource this, this mayoral campaign. We're working right now to try and come up with a number of different tools in which we can get the people of Los Angeles to actually weigh in on what issues they care about most so we can actually talk about what people really care about. I, so when I go out on the street, there are things that I'm hearing. It would, it would surprise you to know that actually the, the, the issue I hear most about from the people of Los Angeles is homelessness. This is certainly passionate to me, something I'm passionate about, but the people out there are not happy with this. No. They see it everywhere, and they want it to change. One of the other big things is, is infrastructure. Uh, you hear all the time people talking about our terrible streets, the potholes where that are wrecking people's cars as they drive down the streets. We have roads that are crumbling. We have streets that are not safe. Yeah. That's a huge one. Of course, traffic is another one. But getting people to, to get involved and say, hey, listen, these are the issues I care about most. And here are my ideas for how to solve them. And knowing that their politician, whoever's running the city, is actually most concerned with that. That's what I'm bringing to the table. That is what I will bring that's different. One of the things that I think's changed of recent times, and perhaps Trump doesn't fit into this, but um, where are the charismatic leaders? Mm. I mean, you talk about leadership in LA, and it is colorless, dull, dreary. I mean, Garcetti must own 500 grey suits. <laughs> he, he never looks like one of the people. He always looks like he's been primed up to stand in front of a camera. 
And uh, unless, you know, I think an effervescent, a person like you that's got, you know, charisma coming out, he's whatever. You're too um, kind. (laughs) Is much more likely to motivate people than somebody who is the typical politician. You know, we live in uh, the capital of entertainment, right? So I believe especially, you know, I've always been flamboyant. My my entire persona is essentially a call to expression. It's a call to freedom of expression. Uh, I believe that that is a a very important part of the times we live in. And I also believe that in order to to make a dent against uh, an incumbent who has $3 million in his war chest, Someone like myself who's neither interested in raising that kind of money nor has that money available. And, right. and, and frankly, I don't believe that that type of money should be anywhere near a citywide election that has no interest from the, the city. Yep. But that notwithstanding, the only way you make an impression felt is to, 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 have a, to make a splash. Right. Uh, and my, enti- my persona is intended basically to hook people, to say, who is this guy? What is this guy talking about? This guy talking about love. But then... I, I hope to hook them with the, the persona and the look, but then I hope that they stick around because of the substance that I'm offering. Right. And, and I do believe that, you know, there is something exciting and, and fresh about my whole persona and the way that I, I appear in the world. And it invites people to say, hey, let's, uh, let's be ourselves. Let's, let's express ourselves. Let's be who, who we really are and show up in a way that, that is meaningful for us. It's certainly interesting and different. I'll give you that. Well, um, thank you. That persona, how, how how much of that persona is actually you? Interestingly, go back and you know a fellow who spoke at Metal, and I might add that Paul's a fellow member of, of Metal, but a fellow who spoke at Metal a few, well, a few a couple of months ago, um, a guy out of England who's now a big guru in in social media. Um, he was just an average guy, and one when um, Bowie died. He decided he'd go out and he'd replicate Bowie's outfit. And sure enough, he replicated Bowie's outfit and he went out and he started going on stage in all that really weird get up. And he's gone from living in his car to a guy that's huge all over the world and giving speeches all over the planet. And he was saying that his persona... You know, from the moment he gets up in the morning, he gets into that outfit and that's what he does. Even if he's going up the street to buy a pint of milk, he gets into all this gear and all the makeup and everything else just because he keeps that up and he becomes who it is. So is that you? I mean, do you go to bed in red pajamas and <laughs> wake up in the morning? You know? Silk sheets, red silk sheets, <laughs> the whole works. The Amori Cave, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty stunning actually. Is it you though? Is that... Absolutely. It's all real. I mean, look, my heart is my heart and oh, sure. my heart is true. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I would ask of this of any politician. Uh, is the politician that we see on the podium talking to the people the same politician who gets into bed with his wife? Eh, probably not entirely. Usually. Maybe it's mystery. <laughs> probably not entirely. Yeah. Uh, there are slight nuances that we shift for the people. But, you know, this is my... Who I am is an expression of, of what I believe is an embodiment of love. So this is how I express love. This is how I embody love. So what are your the major things that you wish to accomplish as mayor? So uh, if I were to become mayor, yeah. 
I would like to, the, the number one thing for me is, is homelessness, as I've mentioned before. Sure. I don't see how we can continue to expand this city and to continue to grow this city until we have taken care of the people that are living on the streets. Mm. Uh, how do we call ourselves a world-class city? Uh, it's shameful. And, and anyone who comes from overseas and sees, takes a, a field trip down to Skid Row. You don't even have to do that. I, I drove down, I live in um, West Hollywood, and I drove down Sunset yesterday. Uh, it's everywhere. There's little encampments all the way down Sunset Boulevard. There are encampments everywhere. But if you go to Skid Row, I think the proliferation of, of what... Because the thing about Skid Row is that it makes it seem that acceptable, that we've accepted this, that this is a part of our fabric of our, of our city. Yeah. Uh, and that, to me, is the biggest issue, is that we have come to accept this. And, and so many people think, oh, this is just a part of urban living. And yet, if you come from almost any other city across the sea, any first world country, they come in and they look at us like we are animals, that we would let, let people do this, that we would let yeah. our people live like this. So that has to change. I think for me, that's, it's a number one thing is that we have to change that. And I do think it can happen more, much more quickly than people believe. Well, I was looking at some numbers the other day and they were saying that to get each, every homeless person off the street in LA is going to cost $300,000 or something. And I keep reading about these um, uh, small homes. You know, the micro houses. Micro houses that they build for $40,000. And it would seem right. to me that if we had a big area set aside and we build a number of these micro houses and we put facilities in there and we put maybe mental health facilities and we had a yes. number of other facilities and they so that these people who probably don't want to go out and mix in the wide world at the moment um, can you know, gradually lift themselves out and it seems to me that it would be costing thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, not 350000 so to clarify, uh, what you're talking about is the, the per unit housing cost. Yeah. And, and your, your confusion is my confusion. I, I can't understand how we just passed a measure in the city, which is HHH, yeah. which will raise a $1.2 billion bond uh, to, as you, as you said earlier, to house seven to 10,000 of our homeless in the next three to 10 years. Now, yeah. when you look at the numbers, the, the reason for this, the reason we're not housing more people is the per, per housing cost, which they estimated $350,000 to $400,000 per unit of housing, which is crazy. Because as you say, it's, it's not just micro housing. How about shipping container homes? Twenty to 30000 Now you have to factor in, of course, some cost for land. Yeah, uh, there are other expenses to factor sure. in. But let's say we, we got it to $50,000 a unit of housing. Yeah. We've just we've just housed every every homeless person on the street yeah. the that wants to be a house. The Chinese, and, and we can do it quickly. The Chinese are building three D printed, printed houses in one day. I talk about this all the in time. Three D. I think three D printing is is a, is something that we need to adopt, not just for the the homeless situation, but also for our terrible housing shortage. Because one of the issues absolutely, is, as you know, it's supply and demand, right? So, so we have a terrible housing uh, issue in a sh housing shortage in Los Angeles. We are short at least a hundred thousand units of housing all the time. Now, if we want so so that contributes to people being homeless when you can't get a house when you when your supply is so low compared to your demand you're creating a, a an ecosystem in which 
uh, only the rich can afford to get houses. Yeah. So then forget about putting in low-income housing when we can't even keep up with the housing that uh, middle, the upper middle class can afford. Right. So we have all of these things. Love, to me, again, when we talk about what does love mean, it's easy to say, hey, vote for love, uh, you know, create ideas out of love. But what does love mean? Love is simply acceptance. It's simply being open-minded. It's simply saying, hey, I want to uh, look at any, any solution that, that gets the job done from wherever it comes from. Is it a socialist idea? I don't care. Does it work? Great. I'm going to bring it in. Is it a Republican idea? Does it work? Great. Let's bring it in. It doesn't matter, but we, we are so caught up in this idea that this is the way that I can't, I can't look over here because I'm, I'm in this party. I can't go across those yeah. lines. And, and the moment we let go of that, and we only think about the welfare of the people. We only think about solutions that create, that, that ideas that create real solutions. Then all of that goes away. I agree. And that's where we have to be. That's what voting for love means to me. Right. Paul, that's not a bad note to finish it on. We are out of time, but um, thanks for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Pleasure. Show. Now, you can learn more about Paul by going to vote for the number four, love.com. And don't forget... You know, as, you, as you've just heard, this guy is full of ideas. He's right up to date with technology. He knows what the hell's going on. Um, he might look a bit weird. Hey. hey. So don't forget, get out and see Paul if you've got the opportunity or get on and find him on the web. Join his campaign as a volunteer. I know he needs volunteers. So get out, join his campaign. And most importantly, vote for him when <laughs> the election comes round. which on... March the 7th, March 7th, March 7th. So don't forget. Well, I like to say, Bob, vote. Don't just vote for me. Vote with your heart. Love your vote. If that means voting for me, great. But just get out there and vote. That's the most important thing. Well, he got my endorsement. I think the guy is, is great. And uh, he's a really good thinker. And I'm sure you'll be surprised if you um, go along and listen to him. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. TechCrunch had a great um, story during the week about um, Google taking down 1.7 billion dodgy ads in 2016. Um, Google's been under the gun when it comes to the power of its massive ad network, as you know. It's the biggest on the internet, and it's being used for all sorts of nefarious purposes. But the search engine giant is intent on using its technology to battle that problem. Um, The company has just published its latest update on how it's fighting spam, bots, and other problematic ads on its network, and said that in 2016, it took down... 1.7 billion ads that violated 
its policies. That's 1,000 million million ads. That is unbelievable. And this is more than double what Google took down from the year before. Now, Google's no stranger to the issue of fake news. You know, as you know, it swept the internet and likely influenced a lot of what people view as fact that may not, in fact, be true. It may have actually influenced the last election. In addition to accusations that its news-optimized search format elevated these dodgy sites to the same level as legitimate news sources, the search giant was also compelled to update its policy after its ad network got used by iffy news sites to promote their stories and give them a lot more visibility. The company in 2016 changed its policies in terms of how it's been tracking ads that are misleading or predatory. That's included a policy introduced into July that to ban things like payday loan ads, which led to 5 million ads being banned from the network. Google said it's also been improving its tech to spot and disable dodgy ads faster. You may have noticed, for example, that trick-to-click ads now come with a system warning before you go to the site that they are linked to, as they can lead to malware links. Now, why these ads are not just removed altogether is another question. But in any case, Google said that in 2016, its systems detected and disabled a total of 112 million ads for trick-to-click, six times as many as the year before. Now, the following are among the ads that were removed. 68 million ads for dodgy pharmaceutical companies. <laughs> now, that's, that should be a crime. They shouldn't only be removed, they should be prosecuted. 80 million for deceiving users, again, should be a prosecution. 5 million for payday loans. If payday loans are, you know, up to 100% um, um, interest. And 112 million for trick-to-click ads containing malware, 1,300 ads for tabloid cloaking, and 17 million bad ads for illegal gambling violations. Now, that is just extraordinary, isn't it? You think about it, it's unbelievable. But they're there and we can't do much about it. Um, So aside from tracking unethical ads such as unapproved pharmaceuticals, an issue that massively impacted Baidu in China, payday loans, counterfeit goods and deceptive products, Google said it focused its efforts on clickbait advertising. The company refers to clickbait as tabloid cloaking. In other words, dressing an ad up as shocking news akin to a tabloid in order to get attention. It really isn't hard to find examples of that across the world. Now, the search giant claims it took down 1,300 accounts that were performing these scams. That doesn't seem like a large number, but it's a hell of a lot if you get scammed. Case in point, the 22 cloakers at NABD in December were responsible for serving up ads that were viewed over 20 million times online in a single week. Bad news, though. That fight is very much ongoing. Google explained the tabloid coking, cloaking <laughs> is gaining in popularity because it's such an effective method to grab attention online. 
in much the same way that some websites have risen on the back of viral shock news. So while Google took down more bad ads in 2016 than ever before, the battle just doesn't end there. As they invest in better detection, the scammers invest in more elaborate attempts to trick Google systems. You know, the good guys have got AI, but guess what? The bad guys have also got AI. And the, these bad guys, think of 1.7 billion ads, these bad guys are really well organised. They're big professional outfits, probably in big, tall buildings. So Google's got a work cut out because continuing to find and fight them is essential for creating a su sustainable open web and ensuring that things like elections don't get stolen or, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why we should make sure that we can trust the news that we get online. So I mentioned this before, but do you get my newsletter? My newsletter goes out every day to 81,000 people. It's a 30-second read on 99% of days. So it's whatever an important piece of business news is for that day, it's 30 seconds long, so you can read it for 30 seconds, and when you sit around with somebody and talk over the water cooler, you're going to sound like the one that's up to date with all the news, or well, all the business news that's important anyway. Um, so go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. Lots of people do it every day, so please join us. We'd love to have you, and it's free, absolutely free, 30 seconds to read. How good is that? Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. So get out of the way, piss off, let somebody else who really wants to get past, get past. You know, it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Everybody can do the ordinary. Billions of people do the ordinary every week. The ordinary is not for you. Now, next week, we'll be back broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.